Good morning, everybody. My name is Matthew Kuntz, and, and I just want to start out by saying, I, a lot of you probably don't know me, but I, I want to say I love this church. I am a church planter. I have been a church planter for some time, and I see a lot of church plants that I didn't plant. Other people are planting, like this one, and I love the music. I love the community. I love the way you set up. You got the confessions and the, the readings together. It's just a great, great setup. Um, but I, I am Matt Coons. I'm a missionary in Ecuador. Some of you were here for the brunch and heard a little bit about me. Um, but it's not, our life is not much different than yours is because two days ago, I was in a canoe with my kids chasing around an alligator. You know, that's, that sounds like the mission field. I, yesterday, I was under a bridge in the grass preaching the gospel. Um, it seems like you did not have to go super far for interesting things to happen, but, but we do live super far. We live in Ecuador, and, and that's where we're doing our work. And you guys have been with us since the beginning. I actually was looking for a house in Ecuador to move into and met Lanny and Caleb Maloney um, in Ecuador. And that's how I got in contact with this church. I thought, these are great fellas, and they invited me over. And you guys have been in it for a long time. You've been helping us do what we do. So some of you might have our rookie cards from when we came and preached here three and a half years ago, our prayer cards. We've got new ones that are on the back over there with a red Andean-looking tablecloth. So if you would like a new prayer card, please go and get one of these. It's different colors on different sides, so you don't have to choose which one you want. Um, and we also have these sign-up cards up there. A lot of you guys are helping us go on this mission. You're praying for us. You're financially supporting us. The church is doing that as a whole. But we're looking for some more to do it. So if you'd like to get involved, there's a sign up back there. Now listen, I would love it if every single one of you at least said, I'm gonna, I want your emails and I'm going to pray for you. You don't have to, but I would love that. They're back there. There's pens in there and you can fill them out on your way out while you pick up one of these prayer cards. But now it's time for preaching Time for the Word of God. So I'm, I want you guys, do you guys stand up when you read the Word of God? Yeah, everybody stand with me. We're going to open our Bibles to Matthew 28. Chapter 28 of Matthew, verse 16 through 20. The Word of the Lord says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You can be seated. That is the word of our triune God. Thanks be to God. That's fantastic. Thanks be to God. And... We're going to study into this. I am a missionary, so oftentimes I talk about missions, and I would love to talk to you more about it, um, but this is where we get missions from. This has been known throughout history as the Great Commission. It's Jesus' Great Commission to, to His church. And before Christ was born into the world, this was a big theme. In fact, 700 years before, there was a prophet by the name of Isaiah ben Amos. He wrote the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah 49.6, it says that God is speaking. 
And he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This has been God's plan, not just here, not just there, everywhere, to the ends of the earth. It's not God's plan B. God has never had a plan B. It's not like the Jews didn't believe it well enough, so he went out to other people. Our plans B and C and D are all, all of them are God's plan A because he's in charge and he knows what he's doing and he's going to do it. It's always been his plan. If you look at Adam and Eve, they get commanded before any sin enters the world. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God wanted to fill the whole earth with his worshipers. And then Noah... The flood comes, he's in the ark, he comes back out. And what's God tell Noah? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. And then a while later, the descendants of Noah decide they're not going to listen. And they're going to make a city, a big city. And they're going to make a big tower in it. And they're not going to fill the whole earth. They're going to stay here because it's easier and it's more secure. And they made Babel. And God said, you're going to fill the whole earth. I already told you to do that. And if we don't obey, God will make it happen. And he changed their languages and sent them out and created all these nations. And then out of one nation, moon worshipers and Ur, he picked a guy named Abraham. And he said, I'm going to make a special people of you. And he told him, this is Genesis 12, 3. This is just Genesis 12. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He renewed that same one with Isaac. In your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And when God appeared to Jacob in a dream, Jacob's ladder... You, if, you've, if you've heard about this, it says, in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's Genesis 12, 26, and 28. And that's just Genesis, and it goes throughout the, the entire Bible. You know, David wanted to make a temple, and he didn't get to, and so his son Solomon got to make it. And Solomon makes the best temple. There's been a couple temples, but he made the best. And he looks at it, and he says, God doesn't live in temples made by man. He doesn't serve. He's not served by human hands, but... This, but this will be a house of prayer for all the nations. Solomon's saying, we're, Solomon, the king of Israel, fighting everybody off, says this is a prayer for not us, for everyone. And Jesus, obviously, when he went into the temple, you guys probably know the story, he was pretty upset. He said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations. And you've turned it into a den of thieves. And so this has been a big theme throughout and then you get to the end of the Bible, and you're in Revelation 7-9, if you want to look up the actual passage. And it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. That's what Jesus intends to do. And that's what Jesus will do. We know. He told us there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation standing before the throne of the Lamb. And there's a way that he intends to do this, and that is through his people. And that's why we've got this great commission. We did Matthew 28, but it happens five times. At the end of every single gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and I've got those verses if you ever want to talk about it, and Acts, every single time, it tells the same thing. Now, there's things that Matthew talks about that Luke doesn't talk about. Things that John talks about that Mark doesn't talk about. Everybody talks about this. Because this is what Jesus sent his people to do, is make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things that he has commanded. And he says, behold, I'm with you always until the end of the age.
So, if you look at the passage, if you have your Bible open to Matthew 28, verse 16 shows that the disciples go to Galilee. Now, they were 70 miles away, and Jesus saw them. When he talked to them, he says, meet me in Galilee. And nobody knows why Jesus had them travel 70 miles to hear this. But he did. And I imagine it might just be to say, this is hard work. And you know, I do this on the mission field too. There'll, there'll be some people who say, you know what, I want to be a church planner. You need to train me. And I'll, I'll make them jump through a couple hoops to see if they're willing to do hard stuff before I put a lot of energy and work into them. Well, either way, Jesus made them walk 70 miles. And when they got there, he told them something that was very hard for them to hear. He said, he said, you need to go to all nations. Now, if you guys have seen the movie or read the books, The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, any of those things, think of Jews kind of like hobbits. They do not want to leave. They do not want to get out of the Shire. They like it where they are, right? And it's even worse with the Jews. You know why? Because they are where they are because God put them there. God made that land for them. And he said, this is your land, and you are this land's people. This is your promised land, and I'm going to put you there. And now Jesus says, go. Go. And you see this in the, in, the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. People are not happy when God says, go. He told Jonah, go to those Ninevites and tell them to repent. And Jonah says, no. You know, a lot of us say no, too. And he says, go out of your promised land and go into a group of nasty Gentiles. Because also they had rules. Like, we don't touch these people. We don't eat with them. We don't talk to them because they'll taint us. And he says, you're going to go and turn them into the future of the church. You're going to make disciples of all these nations. And now, God has changed things a little bit. Because if, if you look in the Old Testament, the big message was come and see. There was sometimes that they would go out to other places, but they built a temple and they said, come and see how mighty our God is. Solomon built a temple and the wisdom of God was known throughout the world and all these kings and princes would come to see the greatness of God. And if you remember, the temple of God had the presence of God. And so if you wanted to be in God's presence, you had to do a sacrifice to be able to come in. If you weren't one of the special people, you could only come in so far. And you had to do special sacrifices to come in a little farther if you were the special people. And then there was one person who go into the Holy of Holies, the actual presence of God, once a year. And he had to do a lot of sacrifices, and they tied a rope around his waist in case the holiness of God killed him. They didn't want to go get him because they would die too, so they would pull him out with a rope. It's very serious. But we take it for granted because right now we live in an age where Jesus says in the, in the passage we read, I am with you always. The presence of God is not in a building and we have the presence of God without making the sacrifice because Jesus is the sacrifice. And because of what he did, we can be with this holy God and not be destroyed. And it's not just once a year on the Day of Atonement. We're with him all the time. And he's, he's with us. Now, I'm, I'm going to go into this little segue because it's important to me. I am a connoisseur of sermons. I listen to a lot of sermons. That's what preachers tend to do. And maybe some of you are. From hanging out with you guys, I figure some of you are. And this is a very popular passage. And there's a lot of sermons out there. And I have heard sermons where they say, well, 
I mean, if you look at the Greek, go and make disciples of all nations is actually a present participle, which would be directly translated into going, which means as you go or if you go. Um, that is just lazy Greek work, okay? Because the, obviously the focus, the only command there is make disciples. But Matthew, the writer who wrote this, uses present participles all the time for commands. He'll say things like, rising, take up your mat and walk. Um, but you, if you don't rise, you don't, you don't take up your mat. A lot of times it explains things. And he said, going, make disciples of all nations. Now, if it were, like, if you happen to go, why would he tell them who to go to? Because there's a connection. Go, make disciples of who? All nations. Everybody. No, this, this is a command, um, and he's pretty serious about it. But we sometimes look for ways to get out of it. And it's funny, that all, time, all, all different kinds of scripture, they'll try to find reasons, historical or linguistic, to get out of it. And they'll say, this one's kind of unclear. And it's really not unclear as much as we don't like it. Like the, the passage of the, it's, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than a camel going through the eye of a needle. And so they're like, well, there's a gate that was small called the eye of a needle, and it was kind of difficult for camel. No, like Jesus was joking. But to, to prove a point, that's satire, and he does it all the time. Like if your brother has a, a speck in his eye and you have a log in yours, like you can't take him too seriously with that. He's joking to show how silly we are. And that joke is not to say that you really have to get a camel through the eye of a needle. He's trying to show how hard it is. And he's, when he says all nations, he's not like just go to a bunch of places. He's serious. He wants all nations to know about him. You see in Revelation, the part I read, there's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation before the throne of God. They will be there. And we know that they cannot be there if they do not trust in him. We know that they cannot trust in him if they don't hear. That's Romans 10. We know they cannot hear unless we preach it. And that's in the Bible. So that's a pretty big deal. Now, if you guys are thinking, how can I obey this? Um, we'll talk about that as we go on. But one way that is not super helpful in this going aspect and trying to obey it is standing somewhere and saying, come here. And I think a lot of churches are trying to do that. And it seems like you guys aren't which is a blessing. But if you try to make your church so cool that people want to show up, they're not showing up for Jesus a lot of times. They're showing up for something else. Um, but what you do is actually you go out and you talk to them. You can, because you guys bring Jesus with you, you can bring Jesus to other people. You can bring Jesus to your neighbor's house because he said, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. But the going is hard and our sinful nature is always saying things like, what gives you the right, Jesus? Because it was hard for the Jews. It was very, very hard. But if we're honest, it's hard for us because most places you go in the world are harder than the United States. Everything is easier than the United States. So we're in a similar situation where we say, we're kind of in the promised land. Why on earth would we go? And these disciples just walked 70 miles. And Jesus said, I want you to sell everything you have. Um, go to places that you're afraid of that might lead to your death. If you think about all the disciples, all the disciples except for John, we have good historical records of their death for being Christians, for preaching. But John, we don't have historical records of his death because he would not die. As far as history goes, they boiled him alive, and he got out and walked away. 
they shot him with so many arrows, they thought, here's a pincushion, and somehow he walked away. They lock him up, and John just made it through. But it's a hard thing. And Jesus could have said, I told you guys what you were getting into. I told you this before. I said, if you want to be my disciple, you need to take up your cross and follow me. That's a torture device. I told you the foxes have their holes and the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And if they do this, if they do this to the master, if they persecute him, what do you think they're going to do to his servants? It's going to be worse, so don't be surprised. He is asking them to uproot their lives and leave their families, and that's only part of it. That's just the going part. And so that question crops up, like, why, how, what gives you the right? <laughs> and he started out saying, all authority in heaven and on earth was given to me. All authority. Because right before this, Jesus died on a cross for crimes he didn't commit. And he did that to save people who did commit crimes. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again. So he just came back to life and starts telling these guys what to do. And they shouldn't be confused that he has the right to tell them. But if if they needed extra motivation, he could have said, he could have said, you guys, listen, you have something in you called sin that will kill you forever. You will spend so much time dying that you thought, you'd say, please let me die, but you can't. You're going to live on and on forever in pain. You and everybody else in all of this world have that. And it's eternal. And it leads to torment and torment and torment. And I am perfect. Never did. Jesus could say this. He didn't. He said, I am perfect. I could have stayed up in heaven. I could have never come down, but he did come down. And he came down and lived a life perfectly like we were supposed to live it, doing everything we were supposed to do right. Even baptism. Because he knew we were kind of do that wrong, and he did that right for us. And John was like, are you sure I should baptize you? Jesus said, yeah, because I'm going to fulfill all righteousness for my people who aren't going to. And he did it. And then instead of being received well, he was whipped and mocked and spit on and accused. His flesh and bones were torn apart. Sinew in his hands and feet were pierced. He was speared in his side. And that's just the physical part of it. That's not the worst part. He took the punishment of hell, that separation from God who is the source of all that is good and happy and fun, all that is comfort and peace. He took that separation for us. He took an eternity of hell. And listen, we have no idea how much he can suffer. Everybody has a capacity for things. Jesus has the capacity for everything. He suffered more than we could possibly ever imagine. And he did that for everyone who would trust in him so that when he rose again, and he just did this before a passage, so when he rose again, everybody who trusted in him would rise also. He was giving that out. And not only would they rise, they would get an an inheritance that he earned. He's not like, I'm going to give you a chance to start over. I'm going to give you a blank slate. He didn't say that. If you look in the Bible, what Jesus gave us was not a blank slate. It's not, you were wrong and I'm going to take you to zero. Jesus said, you were wrong and I'm going to take you to righteous. So you guys are going to get a mansion that you don't deserve. But I'm going to give it to you because I am love. Because I am filled with mercy. 
and grace. And it's glorious. It is glorious that God could do this. At the same time, being just and punishing every sin. And he is, and he will. He was also merciful and forgave sins because he took the punishment that we deserve on the cross. And so he could have told them, this is not about you. Quit worrying about how comfortable you are. And we can relate to this because we live in a selfie culture where if there's a picture of a bunch of people, we're looking for ourselves. If we're going through Facebook and we see some friends in an event we were at, we're looking for ourselves. Why? Because we care about us. But he says, go to them. That's exactly what it was, them. All nations, this goyim idea, pontatai ethni, is something separate that they didn't like. But you know what's interesting? Is Jesus didn't give this tirade that this preacher just gave. He didn't give a mean tirade. He said, I'll be with you. Because <laughs> they're, they're obviously fearful. And he says, it's going to be okay. Because you're not going alone. That's how Jesus operates. He's much better than fiery preachers. Now, if you are a guest here, I don't know who's a guest. Um, if you're a guest, Jesus did that for everyone. If you trust in him, you get that. So if you are not a Christian, you need to put your faith in Jesus because he will pay your debt and give you what he deserves. And that's exactly what you want because you can't pay your own debt. And he's worthy of your worship. But you might have read ahead to see how this disciple-making goes on, and you might get concerned because it says in verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is how he told us to make disciples. Don't be afraid that we're going to sneak up behind you with a bowl of water and get you baptized real quick. We're, <laughs> we're not going to do that to you because baptism requires faith. You have to you have to hear this message, and you have to believe it. But this part, I love to study, and I don't have time to really dig into it, but it's interesting because there's two ways, there's two things that need to happen for disciples to be made. One of them is baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The second half is teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And there's a lot of people who go and do missions, and they don't do either of those. And you, you have to baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you have to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. But healthier missions, they go out, and they're preaching the gospel, and people are believing, and they baptize them. And then that's, that's when they leave. And this is a really dangerous thing. And I think part of the reason is because our missions have gotten into words to describe what we do, and I use them all the time, that aren't from the Bible. And so we use things like reach, we want to go out there and reach people. And what on earth does reach mean? And I talk about these unreached people groups. And what on earth does that mean? But we need, instead of reaching people, we need to make disciples. And I'll talk about reached people groups and things like that because it gives us an idea of something else. But our goal is not to reach one. Our goal is to make disciples, which involves baptizing. Not just getting people wet. We baptize converts. We baptize people who believe, which means we need to preach to them. It does not count if I come out with a super soaker and cover everybody. And that seems silly, but there's a lot of other things that don't count. Like if you drop a tract at somebody's door, that doesn't count. Like you have to take the time to go through the process. It's hard work. But it's hard work communicating the gospel clearly enough for somebody to believe it. But then if they believe it, it's real hard work to teach them to observe everything that Jesus commanded. That's what he said. Teach them to observe all 
that I have commanded you. That's training. And that's hard work. Now, there is some consequences to this not happening. That's the reason I'm on the field training leaders. Because I run into leaders who who've been Christians forever. So I, I, when we were in Africa, I trained a pastor who had been pastor for 27 years, and he asked me um, if he were to eat the flesh of his enemy, if he would get his sins. And I was really shocked by it, but I didn't need to be, because how on earth would he know? Why do we know? We don't know until we're taught. And I grew up, until I was about 18 years old, I didn't even know that Christmas or Easter had anything to do with Jesus. And I live in the United States. I live in a place where it's, it's really easy to get yourself saved. I became a Christian because some guy gave me a Bible outside of my junior high school. And I read it and God opened my eyes. But if you turn on the wrong radio station, you might become a Christian. You might download the wrong podcast. All of a sudden, you're hearing the gospel. You know, on Facebook... There's videos of preachers all over the place. Some of them are no good, but a lot of them are good. And you can trip and fall and become a Christian. And that's a blessing, right? But in the world, it's not always that way. And when it said make disciples of all nations, that word is pontata ethne. Pon is where we get everything, like Pangea, if you hear that, or just, it's, it's everything. Ethne is where we get ethnicity. And so, so there was a time in the 60s, where the World Council of Churches got together and they said, we've reached every nation. We've done it. Now we just need to sit back and wait for Jesus to show up. And they were sitting back and nothing happened. So Billy Graham, 1974, put together something. It was called the Lausanne Council for World Evangelization. Um, And his goal was to say, we've reached every nation. Let's figure out what to do next. Maybe we should go evangelize the people who aren't saved in those nations. And a guy named Ralph Winter came up and he gave a talk called People Blindness to help us understand Pontotiathony, go to all nations. And he said, listen guys, every geopolitical entity has a church in it, every country, but that's not good enough. Because you go into a city, like for example, um, where we live, our city probably has seven languages pretty widely spoken. Two languages that are very heavily spoken, Chimborazo, Quichua, and Spanish, right? If you have a ton of Spanish churches, they are preaching the gospel, they're believing it, and the city is growing in churches, and they're 40% Christian, which is unheard of in the world. They're 40% Christian. All those Quichua people are still not Christians, but they're not just not Christians. They don't have a chance because they don't speak Spanish. And so there's people right next door to people all throughout the world who do not have access to the gospel. And this is where we get this idea of unreached. When we say reach, it means the gospel is there reaching them. And they made up a kind of arbitrary number, 2% or, or more evangelical will count them reached. Because they got in a room, this is not a joke, the guy who made Joshua Project and a couple other people got together in a room and they're like, what should we call reached after this, this thing with Ralph Winter? And they're like, well, it takes about 20% in a culture of a minority to convert the larger percent. So if we get up to 20%, they have staying power. And they're like, well, that's too much. Oh, let's do two. And that's really how it went. And so it's at two. And even those guys were like, well, 
we had to have something. And if we get every people group to two, we'll bump it up to five. If we get every people group to five, we'll bump it up to ten. But they made this number up because when you get to a place where there's less than 2% evangelicals, there's probably not any access, and you're not going to hear it. And so here's the, the numbers. The IMB and Joshua Project are the two biggest groups that bring in these numbers. I think these numbers are from the Joshua Project. As of right now, there's 11,505 people groups in the world that are unreached. That means 2% or less evangelical. It's likely that the people there will grow up, live, be born, live, grow up, everything, die, and never, ever hear anything about the gospel. They won't have any idea. That's 11,505 people groups in the world. Of those, there are 6,819 who are called unreached, unengaged, which means there is nobody doing anything to make them become reached. There's no mission work. There's no churches reaching out. Of those... Oh, sorry, I, I went backwards. 11,505 people groups, 6,819 unreached, 3,126 unengaged. And then there's a whole bunch that we don't even know about. So in Ecuador, there's three people groups that we've seen from airplanes, but nobody's contacted them. Um, in Peru, there's another eight. All over the world, there's these type of people groups out deep in the jungle. And they, listen to this, 95% of the world knows what Coke is, right? Because 100 years ago, 102 or three years ago, a guy in his garage made Coca-Cola, and it was profitable, and now 95% of the world knows what Coke is. When I lived in Africa, I would go into an unreached people group called the Tabwa, and I remember the first time we ever made contact with the Tabwa. First time the gospel shows up. I sat down with the Tabwa man, and we drank Coca-Cola, and we talked about Jesus, because Coke was there first, and Coke is almost everywhere first, except for these uncontacted tribes. They don't even know what Coke is. A lot of them don't know what metal tools are like. They're, they're pre-Stone Age folks out in the middle of nowhere. But the thing is that they don't hear the gospel, and we need to hear the gospel. That's, that's what missions is about. And, and even if they do hear it, because a lot of those are being, there's people actively trying to reach them, but it's hard. And the reason is because Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us that while we are still sinners... We're still rebelling against God. Christ died for us. And that is exactly what missions feels like because we're all like cats. And I saw or I heard about a video on the internet. There's videos on the internet where people, there's a flood coming through the town and there's a goat stuck out in the middle of the river. And this man swims out and saves the goat. Have any of you seen these types of things? And they're like, what a heroic man. Or a dog. Now if you save a goat or a dog, you're helping yourself because that, that's guarding your house or giving you milk. It's got a benefit, but there's one out there where there's a flood and there's a cat out in the middle on top of a car and this flood is coming around and this teenager comes up. He swims out and he grabs the cat and he swims back. And do you know what it's going to be like? That cat will tear you to shreds. And that's exactly, he's holding a cat out of the water trying to get back over and the cat is tearing him to pieces, tearing him to pieces. And he's holding on tight because if the cat gets out of his grasp, he's dead. And he's holding on tight, and he's holding on tight, and then he throws him on the other side. And the cat doesn't say thanks. He runs away. And that's how the Bible describes us, all of us. We, all like sheep have gone astray, all like cats have gone astray. Um, none is righteous, Romans 3 says. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. When we 
are trying to reach these people, they will scratch you up. They will spear you. They will shoot you. They will put you in prison. They'll do things. And that's, we can't be shocked by it because that's what we're like. But we know because of this passage that Jesus is with us, and we know because of Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So we have to get them the gospel. And if Christianity is one-tenth as true as we say it is, then we'll be willing to get scratched up a little bit en route. But the way we do this, the way we do this isn't as easy as we're used to. Hey, you guys might not notice because you don't see me on a regular basis, but when we came to the United States, I weighed about 20 or 30 pounds less than I do right now. It's because food is very easy to get to. Everything is really easy here. Emissions, we want it to be really easy, and it's not. And so God was kind enough to give us a layout of the process that it goes through. In Romans 10, 13 through 15, if you want to open up, you can, but I'll read it out loud. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's, we stop right there because we say that makes missions really doable. But then he says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? So they have to believe it, which that's hard to get people to believe. Wait, but how are they to believe in it in whom they have never heard? So it means we've got to get the message out there. And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? See, there's this whole process that we have to go through. And I'll tell you, being in this industry, being part of this work, that you don't just say, hey, you should follow Jesus. Because people don't even know who Jesus is. We say, call on the name of the Lord. And they're like, what Lord? I already have a Lord. Call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. From what? Is he going to save me from this terrible job I have? Is he going to send me more money? Because that would be great. And you know what? If we're not careful, if we don't spend time clarifying who this Lord is, what people are being saved from, you get new religions popping up. And they're popping up all over the place, and they've got big crosses. And you know who the Lord is? It's Jesus, but it's not the same Jesus we know. The, the Pentecostal movement is swiping through Africa and China. Half the time, they say Jesus isn't God. But he found the way of salvation from what? Poverty. He knows how to get you rich. And because he found the way, if we do the same stuff he does and give plenty of money to the church, you will also be rich. And that's happening all over the place. And I think sometimes it's caused by people who have bad intentions, but sometimes it's caused because we didn't spend enough time. And if you say you need to be saved from something, just think right now, what's ruining your life? Our first thought is usually not sin. Our first thought of what's ruining our life is something else. And somebody says you can be saved, you're going to go to that whatever that is, my old beat-up car. <laughs> if God saves me from this car, and that's what happens all over the world. So we've got to spend time teaching them to observe all that God has commanded. And there's aspects of this. And so that's the reason we're here. Our missions agency tells us to leave the country we're at every three years. But the reason we're here with you guys is to tell you thanks. Because it says right here, how are they to believe if they don't hear? How are they to hear without somebody preaching? How are they to preach unless they're sent. And you guys are sending us. You guys are sending us, and we want you to continue to do that. Keep pushing on, and we'll keep pushing on what we're doing. And we'll work together, and we'll make this happen, because missions has got different roles. And you don't have an option to be involved in missions, but you do have options with how you are involved. 
And John Piper would always say, you can go, you can send, or you can disobey. And those are your three options. And I would encourage you guys to go or send, but I would not encourage you to disobey. All authority has been given to him. Now, if you want to go and you don't know how to do it, I'd love to help you with that. If you want to send and you don't know how to do it, I would love to help you with that. But seriously, there's a lot of ways you can get involved in this. There's a lot of ways you can go and there's a lot of ways you can send. It's not just praying. It's not just giving money, though those are key. There was a time when Will, I don't know where he's at. There he is, my oldest, got malaria when we were on the mission field. And I know that he got through it because of prayers. Because there's no other way that we would have found it so early. His symptoms came out before they should have because of some other sickness, and we got him on the medicine he needed. And I think it's because people were praying for us. Right? And I get stuck in the jungle, and I'm worried about my wife, and somehow I meet some doctors out in the middle of the jungle. And I think that's because people are praying for us. I think it's because you guys are praying for us. And obviously, the only reason we're down there, the reason we eat and we do the things we do, is because people are giving money. People in this church are giving money. But there's more. You guys can raise up your young ones to be missionaries. I'll give them a job with zero salary, but you guys can help them with that as well. Um, but we want to be involved in this. We want to see it happen everywhere because Jesus is worth it. He's glorious. He rose from the dead. All authority has been given to him. So remember, remember what Christ has done for you to be able to be a disciple. Remember all of that that he went through. Remember that he's with you and thank him for that and go on with the mission. Continue onward. Get involved. Go or send or disobey. No, just go or send. Go or send and be involved and help other people who are doing it. Teach people how to do it and pray for them. And thank you. Continue to pray for us. Because it's a joy. It's a joy to see how you guys are doing this right here. You guys are in a place that still needs the gospel. But you guys are also doing it in other places. And I'm glad to be in it with you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for letting me come to this church, letting us be part of this community. I pray, Lord, that you would bring great refreshing and encouragement in your word to this community, Lord, but that you would also use the members here, all of them, in their different ways to work in the mission that you have for us, Lord, that you would be shining as a light through this church to this community and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I pray, Lord, that you would provide for that to happen, that you would give courage, that you would give strength, that you would give an excitement about what you're doing that would overcome any pain that might happen. I thank you, Lord, for overcoming so much pain so that we might be disciples. And I pray, Lord, that in some way we would also be willing to take on pain so that others might become disciples. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.